Well, uh, I, I love that song. You know, when it talks about your goodness is running after me, it, it reminds me of uh, a very famous psalm that I know you have all heard of, Psalm 23. Uh, King David writes, uh, reflecting on the Lord as his shepherd. But, you know, what a lot of people miss is this short psalm, six verses, actually David uses two metaphors to, to talk about the Lord. Obviously, that of a shepherd, which David knew about as a young boy. But at the end, he shifts uh, his focus and thinks about God from the perspective of a king. And he said, You prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. In other words, your enemies in the ancient Near East, after you would have a battle, if you would win the battle with a neighboring land, you would host these massive victory banquets. And uh, he's saying here that my enemies are going to be forced to sit and watch us enjoy this scrumptious victory meal that God provided for me. But then what's interesting, the last verse, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. That Hebrew verb follow is is used every other time it's used in the Hebrew text is referring to a, a, a predator chasing its prey, especially like animals, right? Like a lion chasing a gazelle or something like that. And so basically in the context here, he's saying that while my enemies that had been pursuing me are going to be forced to sit and watch me eat this victory meal, what really is going to pursue me, and that's a better translation than follow, pursue, what really is going to pursue me is God's goodness and love. And uh, that's the God we serve. He's a great God. He's a good God. And I'm so thankful that, uh, you know, he is, uh, he wins in the end. Um, so let's uh, pick up uh, with our study tonight. We're talking about uh, um, the time is now, uh, signs of the times, why Bible prophecy matters now more than ever. We've been talking about all kinds of things from the enemy's perspective uh, in the unseen realm, uh, demonic activity, things like that. And tonight we're going to you know, continue by looking at some other aspects of the paranormal. But to begin with, speaking of uh, satanic activity, I want to start with a bumper sticker that my uh, daughter sent me a picture of. She was in line or maybe at a uh, parking lot. I don't know where she was, but she texted me this. And what caught my eye first was this bumper sticker at the top, fueled by Satan. So whoever this person is, they were quite proud to be connected to Satan. But then as I looked closer at these bumper stickers, it all began to make sense because they're a cat mom. So then, then, it, then it, it made perfect sense, uh, sense to me. So there's the proof. If you ever need proof of the connection, there it is. Um, so we've been talking about the, sta <clears throat> the stage being set demonically. Now, next week, I will be back, even though I'm leaving tomorrow to go to Tulsa for the Mid-America Prophecy Conference. I'll be back uh, uh, Sunday night, and so we'll be, you know, business as usual next week. And I'm, I'm toying between moving on to my next section, which I've done some work on, uh, which is number seven, and that's going to be setting the stage genetically. And we're going to talk about some of the uh, biodigital convergence and the genetic modification programs that are going on. But I may, depending on how much time I have between now and then, decide to do a dedicated Q&A night. So I will let you know by email. It will be posted on our website. If we do a Q&A, that just means we're going to dedicate the whole night to your questions, questions that people email, and so forth. So be thinking about that. Obviously, every Tuesday night we have a dedicated time at the end for questions and answers, and you can feel free to ask anything we're talking about tonight or anything else that might be 
on your mind uh, related to Bible prophecy. But anyway, I'll keep you posted on that. So what we've been talking about so far are some of the manifestations of evil spirits. We talked about UFOs, UAPs, that type of stuff. We've talked about how things are heating up uh, on earth, which means they're heating up in the heavens. What we're seeing is uh, the heavenly battle, the spiritual realm and the unseen realm is sort of bleeding over and becoming more and more manifest and more and more visible uh, through things on earth. So we talked about manifestations of demon possession. We talked about other some other paranormal manifestations, and that's where we left off. So we want to pick up there uh, tonight. But to lay some biblical foundation for it, and I just wrote an article yesterday about this. I encourage you to check it out at notbyworks.org. It'll come out in the Thursday newsletter for Plum Creek Chapel. Uh, but I called it, uh, All That Glitters Is Not Gold, borrowing Shakespeare's line. Um, and I, I cited this verse here, that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. His ultimate goal is to turn people away from Jesus, to ultimately be an imposter, a fake Jesus, the Antichrist, uh, as he's going to indwell that human leader, the, the world figure someday, that great tyrant who's going to rule the world at Satan's behest, uh, and he's going to get people to follow him instead of uh, believing in Jesus Christ as their only hope uh, of salvation. And then uh, in 2 Thessalonians 2, we're reminded that this future leader, this future world leader, is going to be working according to the power of Satan. And he's going to use all power, signs, and lying wonders. I think he will have a host of evil spirits at his disposal uh, to try to accomplish his goal. That's one of the reasons that Jesus warns the future generation that will be alive just prior to the second coming and the establishment of the kingdom, and that generation that will be alive during the reign of the Antichrist, uh, to, to be careful that they're not deceived. Uh, four different times in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus warns against deception because there's going to be an incredible amount of deception at that time. Uh, we just finished on Sunday mornings at Plum Creek a study through the book of Acts. And uh, one of the neat things when you go through the book of Acts is to see the, the places that Paul visits, which he later writes letters to. So you know, we've got 13 letters of Paul. A good number of those are written to churches in different cities. And uh, when you read the book of Ephesians, and then you go back and read about Paul's visit to Ephesus in Acts 19, you find it, it makes perfect sense. Because the book of Ephesians, every chapter touches on spiritual warfare and the, the demonic realm and the battle that's really raging in the unseen realm. Let me just give you one example from each chapter. For example, in Ephesians chapter 1, he, he starts out by talking about our incredible identity in Christ and how... Uh, having believed, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And he goes on to say, This Christ has been seated at the right hand in the heavenly places, notice, far above all principalities, powers, might, and dominion. And I love reading that verse out loud because it reminds Satan of his place, that even though Christ hasn't taken the, the ultimate throne on earth yet, he hasn't ultimately put everything under his feet in subjection, he is above all principality, power, and might, and dominion. He's the one... Uh, that's in charge. Chapter 2, he talks about how before we got saved, we were walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's an evil uh, spirit. Chapter 3, he gives us uh, one of the purposes of the church in the present age is that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to who? the principalities and powers in the heavenly 
places. In other words, the battle is fundamentally a spiritual one, and the purpose of this present age, among many other things, in fact, I've got five purposes that I've talked about in our chart book. Uh, one of them from Acts chapter 15 is to call out a people for his name. That's why we're called Christians. Uh, in uh, Ephesians 2.7, we, we see how he talks about we're showcasing the exceeding riches of God's grace and mercy. Never before has God's grace been manifested the way it was at Calvary. We see glimpses of it. God is always gracious. He's a gracious God. It's one of his eternal attributes. And throughout the Old Testament, he functions based on grace. We see it, for example, with Abraham and Isaac. We see it with the sacrificial system at large. We see it with Nineveh. Um, but God is, has demonstrated his grace uh, in high-definition clarity at uh, Calvary. Uh, one of the purposes of the church is to get Israel's attention. That's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 11. But notice number four there. One of the purposes of our existence in this present age is to remind Satan of God's wisdom. To remind Satan of God's wisdom. Look at that verse again. That by the church he might make known the prince, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places the manifold wisdom of God. That's what he's doing. And then, uh, and then in chapter 6... We see, of course, uh, the famous spiritual warfare passage where he directly talks about how our battle is with these evil spirits, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians from Rome after he finally got to Rome in late February of 60 A.D. and spent two years there under house arrest. Uh, he also wrote Colossians from there. And it seems like the closer he got to the end of his life, the more he emphasized the spiritual battle. He, he reminded the Colossian believers that God has delivered us from the power of darkness. That's what it is like to be an unbeliever. You're either a child of God or a child of wrath. I mean, that, that's the two options. If you know the Lord Jesus by faith, you're a child of God. Um, John 1, 12, to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. 1 John 3, 1, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. That's who we are. Um, but if you're not a believer, then you're still in the power of darkness. You're a child of wrath. In Colossians 2, same letter, he says that Jesus at the cross has disarmed principalities and powers. See, they are fighting a losing battle. You know, that's why 1 John 4, 4, which is the verse right after the theme verse for my uh, latest two books, Spirit of the Antichrist, where in chapter 4, verse 3, he says, The Spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in this world, and boy, is it. Um, but then he goes on to say, But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, right? So we, we need to remember that. And I just I hope these songs tonight that we sung and these verses uh, you know, continue to be encouraging and remind us, even though we're looking at some pretty dark things. Uh, Peter reminds us that the angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to Christ. Paul reminds us that none of these principalities and powers can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ. Uh, so we need to remember that there is an unseen battle going on. Christ has already won the battle, but God in His sovereignty during these times of the Gentiles is allowing Satan a bit of latitude uh, and still drawing people to Him through the power of the Spirit, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And uh, someday this battle is going to to just climax in that seven-year period 
uh, ultimately at the Battle of Armageddon just prior to Christ's return. So Manly P. Hall uh, put it this way. He was a Satan worshiper his, uh, from, from Canada that you know, died in 1990. He was known mostly for his teachings about uh, the Freemasonry. But he said, There are invisible powers behind the thrones of earth, and men are but marionettes dancing while the invisible ones pull the strings. They understand the source and the, and the locality of the battle. And they understand that what they're doing here, even though it has a temporal, physical, fleshly component, you know, just uh, think about what I talk about in chapter 13 of Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2, the, the spiritual, I mean, the satanic ritual abuse and all of that. Nevertheless, at the top level, they understand that they are uh, serving a higher power. Uh, so I want to play a, a video clip now. This is from uh, the, the documentary uh, Alien Intrusion by Gary Bates. Uh, I want to just give credit where credit's due. I just got a couple clips from there. Uh, not a, not, wasn't too pleased with some of the things Gary Bates did during the pandemic, but uh, this is a, a good little clip that kind of reminds us about how, as we get into some of the paranormal stuff tonight, particularly what we're going to talk about is what the world calls alien abductions. What do you do? And Gary, uh, I mean, uh, Mondo Gonzalez and I talked about this on, on a podcast a couple weeks ago. But what do you do with the literally tens of thousands of people globally that have gone on record uh, and testified to some experience in which they have lost time, been secreted away to some place they don't know where, and, uh, you know, tortured, basically. What do you do with that? Uh, I mean, some people claim, well, it's all made up. Well, that, that's nonsensical. I mean, the breadth of evidence and testimony from people unconnected spanning centuries is just imp makes that impossible. Um, but here's what uh, 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 John Keel and Nick Redfern have to say on the matter. Demonology is not just another crockpot it is the ancient and scholarly study of the monsters and demons who have seemingly coexisted with man throughout history. Thousands of books have been written on the subject, many of them authored by educated clergymen, scientists, and scholars, and uncounted numbers of well-documented demonic events are readily available to every researcher. One of the main reasons why I suspect the phenomenon is not extraterrestrial is because it's constantly changing. If we go back to, say, the Middle Ages in England, we get reports of fairies, of goblins, of little creatures that would abduct people, they would experience missing time, there would be a sexual component to a lot of these cases, and they parallel eerily today's abduction experiences with the so-called greys. So the goalposts are constantly shifting in what the aliens look like, and I think a lot of it reflects our beliefs and our pop culture as to how they manifest for us. So I really like Nick Redford. I don't know if he's a believer. I think he might be from some of the interviews that I've heard. He certainly talks about the Lord, uh, but he now lives in Dallas, and he's written tons of books, at least 10 or 15 that I have, on various subjects about this um, you know, type of thing. Uh, and he said this, the most significant thing about UFO encounters is the way in which the witness is radically changed. It's almost like their worldview is altered, as if they are pursuing a new religion, something along those lines. Uh, so, you know, we talked 
two or three weeks ago, two or three sessions ago, about how some of the false religions, the biggest false religions in the world, came about as a result of a demonic or an, fallen angel encounter. Uh, Mormonism, uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, th things like that. Uh, Islam, I think, was another one. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's, it really is a life-changing event for people, and I think it's a battle for the mind, and Satan is trying to capture uh, people's mind. And here is Nick Redfern, uh, who's a preeminent researcher, talking about how the government elite are part of the deception. One of the most suspicious things about this issue of the phenomenon claiming to be extraterrestrial is that they're constantly coming up with new places or old places from wherever they came. Back in the 50s, it was Mars, it was Venus, it was Saturn. Then in the 60s, we heard stories about data reticuli. And today, you know, it's multiple star systems all across the universe. Now, we know for sure, or we're pretty sure at least, that Mars and Venus are not homes to massive civilizations of extraterrestrials. Lo and behold, the aliens don't claim to come from Mars or Venus anymore today. The stories that the alleged abductees have been giving all contradict each other, so they can't all be true. Also, they've been giving people messages that we can confirm to be lying. Their intent seems to be to deceive people about where they came from. Now, in 2007, I interviewed a man named Ray Boucher. And in uh, 1991, he was approached by two US Department of Defense scientists who were working on a program to contact what they called NHEs, or non-human entities. At first, they thought they were dealing with extraterrestrials. Over time, they found that it was almost as if a dark cloud had fallen on the project. People fell sick, some died, there were very strange runs of bad luck. And they came to believe that what they were dealing with was something literally demonic, but masquerading as extraterrestrial. The reason why they contacted Ray was because of his almost unique background of, as a MUFON state director and as an active priest. When I interviewed Ray, he was able to share more data and I was actually able to speak to some of the people involved. And there's no doubt that their conclusions sort of accord with the idea that this is some sort of demonic deception that is highly dangerous and that there is at least a small elite, if you like, within the government that fully believes that particular feeling. Yeah, so what we talked about a couple of weeks ago is that you, you've got really two camps in this UFO arena. And as, as I mentioned, since 2017 in the New York Times article, December 16th, that sort of broke the, the, the story wide open. And there were others. Uh, Tucker Carlson talked about it a ton over the last few years. Um, since then, it's, it's no longer something that is top secret or, or you know, denied or they claim you're a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist if you talk about it. They've come out in the open and, and released you know, 70 years worth of government documents. There have been television documentaries made about uh, uh, Project Blue Book, for example. Uh, you've got congressional hearings. You had the first public hearing in over 50 years related to uh, UFOs. Uh, so, you know, but within that camp, at the top tier, based on my research, they have no idea what they're dealing with. The, the government and military leaders would assume, and if you pressed them, they would say they think it's, you know, something from another planet, some 
extraterrestrial threat, uh, but they really don't know. But what uh, Nick Redfern is saying here from his research is that there's another whole camp that readily recognizes, based on the data, this can't be just from some other planet. This has got to be dimensional. By the way, dimensional is a, is a word that unbelievers use to describe the demonic realm, right? They, they don't understand, have a biblical worldview and understand that there's the eternal realm and the earthly realm. They think of it as these dimensions, sixth, seventh, eighth dimensions, right? But that's really what they mean, is that it's something not of this world. Now, the whole premise and the reason we bring this up in this Tuesday night prophecy night and the premise of my books is that the closer we get to the return of the Lord, the more of an upsurge we're going to see in the types of activities that the Antichrist will preside over during the seven-year tribulation. Remember, uh, the whole basis for the two books that I wrote was, what does the Bible say about the Antichrist? And we have a lot of data about that. I mean, D uh, Daniel, uh, other prophets refer to that time, the great day of the Lord's wrath. Obviously, the New Testament gives us a lot of data about this man. Jesus mentions him. Paul mentions him. Uh, there are 13 chapters in Revelation that are dedicated to his rule in the seven-year period. So you take all that data, you get a lot of information about what life's going to look like when he's in charge. And then you sort of go back to 1 John 4, 3, that that spirit is already at work today, even before the rapture. And you say, well, are those kinds of activities that are going to characterize his satanic reign, are they on the upsurge today? And they are. And, you know, one of those, and I, I, don't, I didn't repeat it tonight, but when we got into the uh, paranormal a couple of sessions ago, I gave you several passages that talk about the Antichrist and the signs and wonders and things that he's going to do, the paranormal-type things, bringing fire down out of heaven, that kind of thing. Um, and so w what we find out is that this type of activity is absolutely on the rise. I don't think it's an accident that the modern UFO era centered around World War II and the establishment of Israel as a state I don't think it's an accident that uh, as the Luciferians get closer to their timetable, which they've clearly outlined as the 2020s, they've been saying this since the 1930s, that they're targeting this year in the demonic realm. Remember uh, Alice Bailey channeled a demon called Master DK who told her 15 times in 10,000 pages of writing that 2025 was the year. That was the year that the uh, satanic council of rulers is going to take over and, and usher in the new world order. Um, doesn't mean it's going to happen, you know. Uh, demons, uh, at the very least, and certainly not Satan either, are not, you know, omniscient. They don't have the mind of God. But it does give us a, give us a glimpse at what they think is going to happen. Now, Satan's the great deceiver, and his minions are, are, are doing his bidding to deceive. So they could be just doing that as a ruse. Uh, you know, maybe it's 2024. Maybe it's 2029. Maybe it's not for 100 years. I don't know what their blueprint really is. All we can do is go by what they say. And that's not the only source, by the way. There are lots of other documents right out in the open that indicate they've been pressing hard for this time frame. That's why I feel like it's such an urgent matter, and, and that's why I'm so passionate to get the word out. Is uh, I'd rather plan for the worst than, than, and, and be surprised pleasantly when it doesn't happen then, you know, be, you know, stick my head in the sand and be stunned when all of a sudden things go south. Uh, the big question, of course, is when does the rapture happen in all of that? We know biblically, uh, in my view, unequivocally, that it happens before the seven-year tribulation, before the unveiling of the Antichrist. But as has often been pointed out, the Antichrist is not going to have a lot of time to develop a one-world system. He's going to come right in and take the helm of it 
and rule for seven years. So that means that it's very likely we're going to see a lot of these things already building and already in place. And there's nothing biblically or theologically that precludes us from being in a one-world system prior to the rapture. All the Bible says is that the Antichrist won't be taking the helm of it until after the rapture. So keep that in mind. And so I think it's better to, to recognize all of these signs of the times, as Jesus told us to do in Matthew 16. Connect some dots, ask some questions, and be prepared. Uh, and so this is definitely, in just in the last four years, that's why it's so exciting, just in the last four, five, six years, we've seen an unprecedented amount of talk about UFOs. It's, it makes the news almost nightly, and they don't know what to do with it. We started the Space Force, uh, notwithstanding the official reason for it, which is to create satellite-based you know, uh, celestial uh, types of weaponry that will interface with traditional weapons, conventional weapons on Earth. That's the kind of the official purpose. Um, but as I talk about in the book, I, I talked to people, talked to one person in particular who admitted right to my face that, yeah, it's also because we think there's an attack coming from some other planet and we don't know what it is and we don't know how to stop it. We've got records of things that we cannot explain that defy any known laws of the universe that we have today. Uh, so don't listen to people, as we talked about last time, that say, well, it's secret Chinese technology or, you know, secret. I mean, the, 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 nobody has this technology. There's, the only explanation for that is supernatural. So that's kind of uh, just to touch on this notion of uh, so-called alien abductions. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm, I go into that in more detail in the book, but the bottom line is there's something unexplainable going on that is evil to the core. And, uh, and, but greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Now, that's a good segue for the next thing I want to talk about, which is the strange disappearance of thousands and thousands of people going back to the mid-19th century uh, throughout North America. Uh, so how many of you are familiar with David Polites? Anybody? I know. Really? Well, this is exciting because you're going you're gonna to want to buy every book he's ever written now. Uh, so I first uh, came across him many years ago uh, in, in an interview, and then I have been following ever since. So we actually recently exchanged a couple of interviews. Um, uh, even before that, we exchanged several, and I was hoping to go visit with him. He used to live in Denver, but he now uh, lives in Montana. But so here's the quick uh, 411, no pun intended here, on uh, David Politis. He was a, he's a retired police officer, and quite providentially, he had a conversation uh, with a couple of forest rangers uh, one time uh, who basically uh, let him know that there is an amazing phenomena that's not being reported, and that is that people are disappearing in startling numbers from national parks, national forests, not just in America, but in Canada, too. That's why it's called the Can-Am Missing Project. So he has since written, I don't know, I think it's over 10 books now on the subject, each one focusing on a different geographic region or a different demographic. Like uh, he's got one about uh, campers, one about hunters, one about the western half of the United States, one about the eastern half, one about rivers and the pe people near rivers. But, but here's the thing. These are not just your ordinary missing persons cases. Uh, he's a phenomenal researcher, and he has a very strict uh, set of criteria that these cases must fall into before he will even consider looking into them. By the way, he's 
He goes around the country training search and rescue teams. He's been involved firsthand in some major uh, you know, it, it, missing persons cases in the mountains and in different uh, national forests and national parks. But those criteria rule out anything that could possibly be human foul play, so human abductions or uh, suicides or fake suicides. You know, sometimes people just want to disappear, so they fake their disappearance and make it look like they were eaten by a bear or something. It rules out any type of animal uh, predation, um, any, any, any other types of things that could conceivably explain the situation are ruled out. And, and these are all cases that defy logic. And what he discovered is that our government does not keep a separate set of records for people that go missing in national forests and national parks. You know, you could go to any major uh, metropolitan area, go to the police department or the sheriff's department and say, hey, you know, what are your statistics? What are, how many people go missing every year? What are the ages? And they have all kinds of metrics about that. The national parks, they never, they never did that. So what he's done is, is he's gone back and looked at newspaper reports, microfish, uh, you know, any, any kinds of data that he can. And then he, once he finds out, yeah, this person went missing here, then he begins to look at the details, interview people if they're still alive, and, and, uh, and, and get the details. So um, I'm going to show you a clip from one of his documentaries here in a moment. Uh, it's actually the trailer. You can watch the whole documentary. I think it's on Netflix. He's got several out now. This is for two or three years ago. But let me give you a couple of classic examples of the kinds of things we're talking about here so you can kind of see why I would bring this up in the context of uh, demonic uh, abductions and things like that. Uh, and David, by the way, for years would never, he was a consummate researcher, he would never even hint at what he thought could be the end. He was just passing on information. You read his books and they're not, they're not, um, how can I say this? They're, they're not particularly, you know, written like, they're just case studies. Each chapter is a case study, and it's just fact after fact after fact. This happened, and this happened. You know, we had this evidence. We had this tested. We did this and that. And it's just each chapter. They don't read like a novel or even like a, you know, one of my books that's trying to make a case or, or, or make a point. It's just case study after case study. And so uh, he, he would not, he would not, say or speculate on what could be the cause. He was just sort of sounding the alarm. But the more he got into it, and the more he studied it, and the more he researched it in recent years, he's, he's pretty much all but said he, he's convinced it has to be something spiritual, something supernatural, something dimensional. There's just no other logical explanation. Uh, so, uh, for example, you know, he, he would talk about cases, and I may be conflating some of the cases like in my book, uh, volume one, I have several examples where I cite him. Um, and by the way, he reached out to me after that and was thankful for the for the shout out and 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 commended my accuracy of telling some of the details. But um, so I, if I'm conflating them, forgive me. But these are the kinds of things that he goes into great detail. Again, you know, thousands of cases um, over the last 150, 200 years. Uh, and an increasing number of them, which is why I included it in the book um, in more recent years. So things like a family will be, you know, stop, stop at a roadside park on traveling off of an interstate, and, and they'll, you know, set their stuff on a picnic table, then they'll kind of go walking back in the path, and, you know, the two-year-old is, is a few feet ahead, and they're rounding a bend, and they come around the bend, and the two-year-old's gone, completely disappeared. And 
course, panic sets in. You start hollering the name. You start looking for them. Nothing. Very quickly, you end up calling 911, and the authorities come out. It turns into a big thing with search and rescue teams, helicopters, uh, lights at night, searching, searching, searching. Nothing, and they're out of sight for like two seconds, you know, uh, which is the way those kind of things happen, even in you know, more conventional, for lack of a better word, uh, cases of abductions and things like that. But, um, and then after sometimes a week, sometimes two weeks of searching, the child will, the body of the child, dead, will show up in a trail that had been searched 100 times by search and rescue teams. They'd walked right over that trail, and it's just there typically without shoes, um, and yet barefoot, yet no signs of injury to the feet, like if it had taken his own shoes off and walked through the woods, you know, you're going to have scrapes and cuts on your feet, nothing. Uh, no explanation. No footprints other than, uh, you know, already accounted for footprints, no tire tracks, nothing. Uh, in some cases, a child will go missing, uh, and I'm just thinking of, of children at the moment, but there's all kinds of cases. Uh, and the, it'll be found up a ravine two miles away that's not even accessible on foot, on an outcropping, on a ledge. Again, typically no shoes and just, you know, maybe clothed or in some cases partially clothed, that kind of thing. But no visible signs of injury, but dead. How did it get there? How does that happen, right? All kinds of crazy cases like that. Uh, this is a trailer. Uh, it's about two minutes. Um, it's called uh, Missing 411, The Hunted. And uh, I'll just let you watch this. So there are clusters, as he, as he investigates this, he finds out there are certain clusters where it seems to be more prevalent, um, which would go in line with the, some of the other 
paranormal hotspots that I talk about in the books uh, where there seems to be a high uh, volume of demonic type activity or what uh, some people would call portals, uh, which we just you know believe are demonic uh, presences. Um, I remember one case, and he alludes to it there, that brought it back to my mind where uh, people were hiking. I forget where it was, but it was a vast expanse of snow-covered area, and they were hiking. They had camped you know, overnight, and they got up the next morning, and they were kind of packing stuff up and headed out for the day. And one of them said, well, I'm going to go ahead and get a start. And you could see them walking with their gear on in a snow-white uh, plateau for most of the way until they go over just a rise, which was just a small dip, and they kind of go down out of sight and then, you know, would come back up again. It was a long way to, to, to the mountain. And they, he went out of sight. They didn't think anything of it. Then later they started out a few minutes behind him or some time behind him and never found him. Never, and, there's, and you can kind of look around as far as the eye could see, and, and you can you'd be able to see anything, and then never found him. So, um, What's going on with this? So this is just one more example of, I believe, supernatural, unexplained, otherworldly type activity that appears to be on the upsurge the closer we get to the return of the Lord. Now, you know, the devil's alive and well. He has been, you know, attacking uh, mankind for 6,000 years. So maybe there's isolated examples of this kind of thing. Um, but there's an upsurge in it. There's just like with UFOs and uh, some of these other things. You know, you can go back centuries and find documented references to UFOs, uh, but nothing like what we have seen in recent years. Uh, another strange uh, phenomena when you think about paranormal activity would be animal mutilations. I have a chapter on this in the book as well. Um, but you know, you've got these cattle, not just cattle, but horses and other uh, animals. Uh, that was uh, really it sort of hit the mainstream news in in Denver. Actually, was the uh, Linda Moulton Howe was one of the key uh, investigators of this, and she was a local news anchor. Uh, and she actually won a Peabody for a documentary she did on it called uh, I don't think I, I don't know if I have, in the book I cite it. Um, uh, it's right on the tip of my tongue. But anyway, excellent documentary. Um, but that was in 1980. And then it's just increased uh, since then. I talked to one farmer who had an, you know, experienced cattle mutilation on his land in Nebraska. Talked to him firsthand, face to face. No explanation. There's no tire prints, no footprints, no other signs of predator activity. You know, m like most things today, they've kind of studied it enough to where there's a science. And an expert can walk up to a scene and tell you right away if there was foul play. They're going to see the signs. They're going to tell, oh, this was a mountain lion that attacked this. You know, they, they know those things. But in these cases, there's nothing surrounding it. You've got no blood, yet the animal's been drained of all its blood. There's no blood anywhere, and, and its reproductive organs have been carved out. Its tongue, in some cases, are carved out. Its eyes are carved out. Its ears are carved out with surgical precision, like it's using a uh, scalpel, uh, but no blood. And, and again, this has been mainstream news uh, for decades, and it's still happening. There was one in the news in Texas just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, uh, FBI investigated. I give some of the background about that back in 1995 in the book. Um, you know, you see this, uh, you see articles everywhere. This is a 1975 newspaper article, even before Linda Moulton Howe really brought it to the forefront of people's uh, awareness. Um, 
uh, in Paris, Texas. Um, and so this goes, goes way back, but again, it's on uh, the increase. There's a Denver Post article from 2016 about how Colorado cow mutilations are baffling ranchers. You know, ranchers are pretty smart people, and they know if it's a coyote or if it's a cougar. Or, you know, they know these things, and when they are, you know, questioning what in the world's going on here, uh, something uh, evil is uh, is taking place. So uh, I, the last thing I want to do before we get to our Q and A, which we'll try to start right at seven here, is just mention, and it doesn't really fit in in this category, and so maybe I'll talk more about it uh, next week, but not all evil, I want to just point this out, not all evil is directly connected to evil spirits, demonic activity, that kind of thing. I mean, ultimately, of course, all evil is, is part of Satan's influence, and it stems from the fallen nature, but what I'm saying is there, there, you know, there are a limited number of demons and evil spirits, and it's just law of large numbers. Not all evil activity is demonic, and we want to resist the temptation to think there's a demon behind every tree. The fact is, a person might rob a bank, commit murder, commit assault, lie, cheat, steal, you name it, commit crimes, because of the depravity of man. People do bad things, you know. Um, I believe, and I think I've documented this quite clearly in the books, that the level of direct demonic uh, influence and activity on evil in the world is just through the roof today. But nevertheless, there's just some bad people. So some of the evil that we see is just the result of the sin nature and, and bad people doing bad things. That too is on the rise, right? Depravity is a degenerative disease, as you heard me say a hundred times. It doesn't get better with time. So the closer we get to the Lord's return, the more evil people are going to be. Um, and, you know, Paul talks about that in... Uh, First Timothy chapter 4. So we're going to see all levels of evil on the upsurge. Some of it is directly you know, demonic in nature, and some of it is just the immorality and the debauchery of man. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So we're going to, and then sometimes they coalesce, <laughs> and that's when you've got a real problem because, you know, evil people who have an evil bent already and, and, and they're not believers so they don't have the Holy Spirit in there convicting them when they get targeted by the Luciferian elite and those that are worshipping Satan they can really coax them into some pretty even worse stuff so it can be just evil people doing evil things it can be de demonic activity you know, doing crazy things or it can be kind of a convergence of both so alright so any uh, comments or questions? I'm sure there are some uh, tonight before we uh, finish up uh, our topic for tonight. Yes. Oh, hey, I want to use the... Uh, almost forgot. We've got our new system where we should be able to pick up uh, the question, but I have to stay back here so that it picks me up when I answer. You'll just pass this around and talk right into, talk right into the mic. So we've been watching Skinwalker Ranch, whatever yes. it's called, The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch, and where the cow dropped dead suddenly and the, no predator um, birds or coyotes or anything wanted to have anything to do with that dead carcass. Right. 
we see deer that are die in the neighborhood from the car or whatever and they're gone within usually a few days their carcasses are these children that they've found in these parks are their bodies intact yes so no predator is touching them either yep yeah so uh yeah absolutely there's no marks on them uh but yeah that's a, a very good point and uh i i think i bring this up in the section on cattle mut or animal mutilations in the book but uh yeah they and the skinwalker ranch has all kinds of cattle mutilations if you read the book there are lots of examples of that the the family that first owned the ranch when the government came in and did investigations on it uh the the nids group it was called uh that was one of their big problems was that this was these cattle mutilations were happening and they couldn't explain it and then there was a bunch of other paranormal stuff that happened too but uh, i haven't seen that that episode but yeah you're right they the uh these carcasses nothing will go near them you know and that's the other thing that happens with these search and rescue dogs going back to david polites is that the dogs will pick up a scent and then all of a sudden they'll get to a point right in the trail and they'll just stop and circle and circle and they you know it's almost like it went up, <laughs> is the implication. Uh, so yeah, good question. Somebody else, comment or question? Um, I had a question. Do you think that um, believers can get abducted from an alien? I do. I think believers could be abducted. I don't think they're aliens. Uh, my perspective is they're demons. Um, but so for, for what that's worth. Uh -huh. um, but uh, I don't see why not. I mean, they can't be indwelt. Right. So a demon cannot possess the physical body of a believer. Mm -hmm. But they can certainly influence them. They can attack them. They, I, I, you know, there's a lot of examples of that. So I, I don't know why they couldn't be, you know, uh, abducted in that sense. I tell the story in my book of Paul Miller. Uh, it's in chapter 10 of volume 2. I interviewed him multiple times. He is an abductee. And, uh, you know, he, uh, he, his original abduction was before he was a believer, but after he became a believer uh, for a few years till he finally broke free, he was, he was oppressed for 56 years, by the way. Uh, he, uh, you know, would still have these encounters uh, as a believer, come, you know, oppressing him, coming against him, and so forth. So, mm. fascinating story, worth worth the read in that chapter. Somebody else, comment or question? And it doesn't have to be about the topic tonight. Anything related to prophecy, current events, anything like that? Um, on the Nephilim, do you believe that they're around now? I know they were before, and if they are. Um, I know you had some talk where they said the, uh, our DNA changed. They used to be giants. What would they be now, and wouldn't we notice them? Or, I mean, would they be different or what? Great question about the Nephilim. So I, I did do a couple of podcasts recently on that topic um, with uh, Brad Mastin and with uh, Mondo Gonzalez. Mm -hmm. um, so let's go back to Genesis 6. That's where they started. Genesis 6-4 clearly says there were Nephilim both before and after the flood. Now, how did they get there? Well, uh, two options. Either as, and, and, and let's define Nephilim. Nephilim, I think everybody knows, but just to master the obvious, a Nephilim is a, the progeny of a fallen angel 
having sex with a human woman who gave birth to a Nephilim, offspring of that unholy union. So they're hybrids. They're not human. They cannot be redeemed. They don't have a soul. They are not human. They, are, they might be part human or have some human DNA in them, but they're not human. And so uh, the examples that we see in the Old Testament, and there were other sort of down the line, you've got the Rephaim, the Anakim, and so forth, Anaki. So uh, they were giants. They were huge. Um, so uh, how did they, how, how is it that they were available after the flood? There are two options. Either their physical bodies died in the flood, but as a hybrid, they were able to, in their spirit form, rise above the waters and go back into the spirit realm. And so, in that sense, they're disembodied spirits of Nephilim, and those spirits will be here until they're judged into the lake of fire, which the Bible, Jesus tells us was prepared for the devil and his angels. That's what the lake of fire is for. You know? um, now, unbelievers will go there too, human beings that reject the gospel and refuse the free gift of eternal life. They'll be there too, according to Revelation 20. But um, it was prepared for the devil and his angels, you know, his evil spirits. Uh, so that's, that's one option. Uh, the second option is there were uh, additional incursions where other fallen angels did the same thing that those original ones did after the flood and impregnated additional women who gave birth to additional Nephilim. That's a possibility. We know the original angels who left their proper domain, according to Jude, are you know imprisoned, and Peter, imprisoned in Tartarus permanently. They were judged for that. So they can't be doing it again, but who's to say other angels, fallen angels, might not do the same thing? Um, you, you have to wonder, you know, why? Because they saw what happened to their cohorts that did that. But, you know, people see it all the time. Just because a murderer gets the death penalty doesn't mean people still don't commit murder, right? So people are slow learners, and the fallen angels could, could make the same mistake. But regardless of where they came from, there's no question that Nephilim exists today. Some people believe that demons in the New Testament and, and today are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. Uh, that's very possible. Um, but the other thing is, regardless of how the Nephilim in their physical bodies came to be after the flood, whether it was through a secondary incursion from fallen angels or these uh, disembodied spirits of the Nephilim that died in the flood could uh, shapeshift and take on another you know, human body again. But regardless, if they procreate, right? So. A Nephilim is the product of a fallen angel and a human. Now you've got a Nephilim who has a physical body. If that Nephilim procreates, they're going to create some uh, aspect of a Nephilim. Uh, and, and you fast forward 6,000 years or you know 4,000 years since the flood, uh, and you've got a bunch of people running around that are not human but look like humans, and they can be Nephilim. So my... Uh, working theory that I've talked about in recent messages here and at, in the podcast is that Satan is doing whatever he can to increase the size of his army because the number of angels is static. It never changes. He already was at a disadvantage because only one-third of them fell, and a certain number of those are imprisoned permanently, so they're out of commission. Right? So he's got a select number of fallen angels. 
the only way he can increase the size of his army is, you know, keeping people unsaved, because unbelievers are, part, are children of Satan, right? So they're, they're part of the children of wrath. Or he can't, once a person becomes a believer, they can never go back. You can't become unsaved, right? You're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So maybe, maybe these incursions that we talked about and abductions and so forth are Satan's attempt to try to create additional soldiers, so to speak, in his army. But whatever the case, um, we can speculate a lot about the details, but what we can say, I believe, with exegetical certainty, and I know good people disagree with me, so I respect that. I just feel very strongly that the proper interpretation of Genesis 6-4 is that Nephilim exist today. And, and I think they, you know, they're around us. So have you heard of any abductions where the people have come back pregnant? We've heard uh, of the opposite. We've heard where they, uh, I think we have heard of that, but we've also heard of pregnant women being abducted who come back and aren't pregnant. Or they were pregnant uh, already, they right. get abducted, and, and later they're not pregnant, and there's no indication uh, biologically that there was a miscarriage. Um. Because I wondered if they were creating the army that way by taking them and well, that's impregnating the them. That's exactly the theory, yeah. Well, would we be able to recognize the Nephilim in our world? You know, I don't know. Uh, I, I have some suspicions, and there are a lot of videos out there, sensationalist videos that try to point out, you know, oh, they have reptilian eyes or they do this or they shapeshift. You know, shapeshifting is real. We've seen plenty of examples of that. I have a whole section of that on the book, in the book, uh, all kinds of cryptids. By the way, David Politis is really an expert. Before he got into this whole realm, um, which is fascinating work, he was an e expert and still speaks at lectures on Bigfoot and, and the reality of that cryptid. There are all kinds of cryptids out there. What are they? We believe they're shape-shifting demons or some type of evil spirit. Um, so I think you could potentially witness that. We've seen people, and it's talked about at Skinwalker Ranch, about how you know animals will be walking through a field and just disappear into thin air like they went down a hole and they're gone. Or UFOs disappearing under the sea and they're gone. Uh, so you know it's conceivable you could see a, huma, uh, you know, a humanoid uh, do that. Um, there's nothing in the Bible that explicitly de defines what they look like. As someone mentioned earlier, back in the day they were giants, and we do have skeletal evidence of giants. Um, there's a whole conspiracy about the Smithsonian, you know, hiding those bodies underneath the, you know, in the in the uh, basements of these Smithsonian buildings. Um, but um, I don't know. I, I can't say here's what to look for. But I have a few people that are on my list of suspicion. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, enough about the Democrats. Um, somebody and then I wanted to ask you, um, in response to abductions, how should we respond? How should we pray? Um, what would be practical suggestions for believers in this world? Yeah, so we went through a couple of sessions ago uh, that very thing, how to respond to demonic, you know, confrontations and influence and so forth. 
Um, we can follow, you know, Jesus' example when he was confronted by Satan and, and claim the word and, and, and speak the word of God. Um, we can um, claim the name of Jesus, you know. Um, he hates that. That's why I love reading passages like what we read tonight and singing songs that remind him God is so much better than he is. Um, if, if he's here, because Satan's not omniscient, so he can't hear everything. He doesn't have bionic hearing, but if he's here, he'll hear it. And if not, no doubt some of his sentries are here that will report back because uh, he's targeting people that are truth tellers and that are trying to sound the alarm. So I think, uh, you know, proclaim the word of God, name the name of Jesus, remind Satan that he's a loser. Um, <laughs> I tell the story in the book about how Paul Miller, once he got saved, he broke free from it, and it's a fascinating story. Uh, he just proclaimed the name of Jesus. And finally, after 56 years, I think I've got that right, because he was, might have been when he was 56, but he, he started when he was nine, Maybe it was 47 years. I can't remember the details, but it's in the book. But after decades, let's say, he finally broke free, and it was by naming the name of Jesus. Got a question for you concerning the government's uh, hand in this. You know, it's been top secret, classified information, and now all of a sudden we're moving towards declassification. Do you see a real reason why that's occurring? So I think the reason that we're seeing, uh, my speculation is the reason we're seeing them come out with it is that it's intensifying so much that they are literally panicked. They don't have any idea what's happening. There are too many reports for them to brush it aside and, and make military servicemen and women sign non-disclosure agreements on threat of losing their pension if they come out with it, which we have lots of examples of that. Uh, it's just too many of them, and so they they couldn't keep a lid on it anymore, and so they just leaned into it and said, look, for one thing, they view it as an existential threat to our existence because uh, they have no idea what they're dealing with. So they just started leaking it out. I don't think, as some people suggest, it's part of some vast conspiracy simply to create a narrative to explain the rapture. I do think Satan and the Antichrist are going to use the whole UFO phenomenon to their advantage, you know. Like Machiavelli said, never let a good crisis go to waste, you know, so they're going to explain it and use it to their advantage. But I don't think that's the motive behind all of this. I think it's a real situation with real unexplainable things going on that uh, the government uh, has been studying, and not just our government, but Russia, you know, George Knapp did a ton of research. He went over right after the wall fell to the Soviet, the former Soviet Union, and met with top, you know, people there. And I've I've listened to lots of documentaries and stuff about uh, the same kind of stuff going on over there that we had here as Project Blue Book. But in America, the government, you know, kept a lid on it for a long time, but they were concerned. Uh, they were concerned enough to to study it and document it and try to figure it out top scientists and people looking into it. But it was somewhat more isolated. And then again, I believe the closer we get to the end of the age, the more it just had a life all its own and they just felt like they, they've got to study it and it's much easier to study it and much easier to fund it, by the way. I mean, they had black ops funding it that weren't a part of the official budget. 
And, you know, our government has so much surplus money lying around, they want to make sure they spend it on the right things. And so uh, they now can budget it like they did with this, uh, what's now called uh, the, the, the Committee for Studying uh, uh, Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena, they call it now UAP. Uh, used to be unidentified aerial phenomena. So that's just my speculation. I don't have any insider knowledge there. I just, uh, that makes the most sense in light of what I believe the Bible says about God's plan of the ages and the increase in spiritual activity and, uh, and the reality of it. And I do firmly believe that at some levels of the Luciferian conspiracy, at the top levels, they get that this is satanic. And they are embracing it. They're conspiring with the, these evil forces to try to take over the world. Yeah. Good questions. Anybody else? Yes, back here. And even though you're speaking into the mic for our live streamers, speak real loud, especially for me because I'm half deaf and I cannot hear very well. Okay, am I going to hurt their ears? What's if that? I, if I, am I going to hurt their ears if I talk loud? The no, listeners on. not. Okay. <laughs> okay, as far as the the actual UFO machines that are physical, were, were they built by demons somewhere here on the earth? I don't think that they have to have been built on the earth. They could have been built in the heavenlies. But they have to be physically built. Or materialized in some way. I don't, I mean, to me, I think built, I think, you know, Bob the Builder with his tool belt and his hammer and his nails. I, I don't know. They, you know, if they can manifest as a, you know, 10-foot hairy creature, why can't they manifest as an immaterial thing of some kind, right? Yeah, because I was thinking, could they, you know, how God can just make it exist just by speaking it, but I know Satan can't do that, but do something like that where it says be in this craft Well, so appears? So let's think about that. So you're right, that if Satan cannot create ex nihilo, but what is it when, when, for example, angels can appear as humans and, and we don't even know the difference? I mean, that's, they, there wasn't a person there, now there is, right? They didn't, like, they weren't born as little tiny infant angels that grew up and became human. I mean, they, they just materialized as an angel. And the angelic visitors to Lot uh, just appeared as angels. The demonic angels... Uh, or fallen angels that came, took on human form, and cohabited with these women did that. So if they can do that, why can't they do the same thing with non-biological uh, materialistic things, right? So they can, they can take on form is what I'm saying. They can shapeshift. That's what we see with these blue orbs and these other you know, cigar-shaped crafts and the, the gimbal and the tic-tac and those types of things. They're, they're manifesting in a material way and in the same way it, it, that if an angel manifests as a human being you could walk up to them and shake their hand and you'd feel their hand and if you were to cut off their arm it would bleed and we know they have bodily fluids to be able to create you know Nephilim in the same way if that craft or whatever it is somehow crashes or you smash it its pieces are going to break off that's my that's my understanding all right, one more weird question. No, that's not a weird question um, at all. <laughs> so do you think maybe the Nephilim or the demons that were in the flood, uh, could they have shape-shifted into sea creatures to survive? 
Hmm. Well, it has been, it has crossed my mind that, as I somewhat said earlier, that these Nephilim could have shape-shifted uh, into spirit realm and then waited till after the floodwaters receded to shape-shift back into physical realm again. Um, I mean, it kind of depends on your classification of evil spirits, and that's something that I'm having a fascinating time really thinking through. I mean, as you've heard me say many times, systematic theology is a lifelong process. It is a process, not a product. And so I might have a PhD in theology, but I haven't figured it all out. I'm still studying it, and, and I'm lately have been really fascinated by the study of angelology and demonology. You know, the view that I espouse in volume one of Spirit of the Antichrist is pretty much the traditional angelology, demonology viewpoint that I've taught in schools when I was teaching full-time and so forth. And, uh, but I think, as with any subject, you can really dive in and start connecting the biblical data and thinking about things you haven't thought about before. And you say, oh, that could explain this, and maybe this verse means that. And so as I'm doing that, I'm realizing that it's maybe overly simplistic to think in terms of the uh, what my friend Brad called the other day celestial beings, which is a good generic term. I call them evil spirits. But to think of them simply in terms of fallen angels and demons. Maybe there's multiple classes. For example, is a cherub, we know Satan was a cherub from Ezekiel 28, is a cherub an angel? Ask me that even three months ago, I said, well, yeah. Show me in scripture where it says a cherub is an angel. And could he be an angel? Sure. But it could also be another class of created celestial being. So you've got cherubs, you've got angels, you've got demons, you've got, you know, now you have Nephilim. I'm just saying we have to be able to hold our views with a modicum of uh, humility and, and make sure we can defend them uh, from Scripture. So uh, one position is that Satan was the highest, you know, celestial being, a cherub in charge, um, and he, of course, fell. And then angels that were under him, right, fell, kind of uh, followed along. He, he, he led a rebellion, right? But that doesn't mean he was an angel. So the reason I bring all that up uh, is because if you think through some of these classifications, then it seems like, you know, a, a fallen angel or a demon might be able to shapeshift. But does that mean a Nephilim can shapeshift? It seems to me they're by their very creation, they have a corporeal body, of a physical body, e either that or they have a spirit. They don't, you know, become any kind of other animal. So I don't, I don't, my gut would tell me, no, I don't think they became sea creatures. But I just thought that might be a way that they, they were, you know, being sneaky. Yeah, I mean, I don't, as my, my view, and it may be overly simplistic, but as hybrids, they, they, can, they have a, a spirit nature, not an eternal soul like human beings made in the image of God did. God's don't, human beings are the only ones that he breathed into them the breath of life, that nephesh in Hebrew, which is our soul. Um, but they do have a spiritual component that they get from their father, which is the fallen angels. And we know fallen angels can be spirit form or material form. The Bible is very clear on that. So 
it follows that the offspring of a fallen angel and a human is going to have qualities that pertain to both a fallen angel and a human. Well, what are those qualities? Physical being, well, you're not going to survive a flood. Only Noah's eight family members did in their physical bodies. But these people, you know, had a some type of a, so, a spirit that could, in my view, uh, vacate their physical bodies. The Nephilim I'm talking about, not people. But they vacated their body, rose above the floodwaters, and either possibly came back down afterwards in human form again or are just roaming the earth as disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. Uh, hard to say, uh, biblically, which could be the answer. But if it's option two, which is the, they just roaming the earth and they're disembodied Nephilim spirits, then the same would be true of any Nephilim that came after them. In other words, for the last 4,000 years since the flood, we, we have this continued existence of new Nephilim. Well, when they die, you know, they're not humans who go to either heaven or hell. Their spirit just goes into the celestial realm, and that's why we have an upsurge in the spiritual activity is there's more and more of these disembodied spirits that are out there. Now, secular, you know, uh, people would say, oh, these are ghosts or these are the spirits of dead people coming back to life and all that. That's, that's, that violates the biblical view of anthropology. You don't get to come and go after you die. You're, you're there. You're either in heaven, the presence of God, or you're in hell. And you don't you'd be able to, you can't transport yourself back and forth to earth. But you start thinking about these Nephilim and the evil spirits, very possible. Good question. Anyone else? Yeah. Thank you for your help with the microphone, by the way. Is there any reason that they are just hitting national parks? I, I don't know that that's that they are actually. And and as I said, he he his books have expanded way beyond that to just different types of people. Like the the trailer that we played was hunters, which wasn't necessarily national parks. It was just forests and you know, tree areas where hunters were. Uh, so, but it is fascinating, though, that there seems to be a, a, a grouping, you know, of them in all these national parks and national forests. Uh, I think it was Yosemite was the biggest number of cases. Um, it's probably just because it's vast expanses where not a lot of people around and... Okay. Easy targets. And then, um, have you heard about the demonic activity in the Grand Canyon? I didn't know. It seems like it's on the news a lot lately. I haven't heard anything recently, but Politis has talked about the Grand Canyon before, and it's a, a hot spot as well. What what are some of the things that have happened recently? Just that. Just hold up, hold up the mic oh, for sorry. us. Just um, they're uncovering interesting things in the Grand Canyon and they believe that it's demonic. Can you give us an example or do you know? Not off the I don't know. Yeah. No, I wouldn't be surprised if there's, you know, demonic uh, stuff taking place there. Again, it's my contention and I think I can back it up biblically that we're seeing an upsurge in this, that it's the battle is heating up, it's raging. Satan ever since he saw Israel become a nation, he knew that God's timetable was coming potentially coming up. And so he's pulling out all the stops. Anybody else? Okay, this is a little bit off. Um, not on that, but it, 
I've been on a group text with a number of people who are listening, I'm sure, and so we needed to ask JB's opinion on this. Um, in Revelation 21, when it talks about, um, you know, when Jesus is reigning and it's no more sorrow, no more pain, things like that, um, what happens to the people who have already died and they're in heaven, they're believers, they're in heaven, can they see anything going on? Because we've been having this discussion and like if they could see anything there's not there's going to be sorrow and pain because they're going to see all the junk going on here yeah <clears throat> so what is the kind of is it only for once the millennial reigns going on or is it now so um is that the group chat that i'm on too yeah but you weren't on that one. Oh, i wasn't and we were like what's jb what do you got to say and then he goes oh he's not Are you on sure that i wasn't on it because sometimes i just ignore y'all <laughs> no we I looked so, i am so swamped with stuff <laughs> and it's like all day there's these discussions sometimes i can't resist and i just got to chime in yes we've but we've, i wasn't on that one no because okay. i looked because i'm like this is a question i've been wanting to ask okay. you so let's talk about the new heavens and the new earth so there are in existence the heavens and the earth and the earth of course is the earth uh, the heavens there are three levels there's the sky where the birds are flying there's the planets and stars and then there's the abode of God right the third heaven um, the third heaven is just wherever God is that's the kind of the abode of God that's where Satan goes and knocks on his door even though God is timeless and spatial and temporal and all that the, the Bible speaks in terms of people going to be in the presence of the Lord, to be absent with the bodies, to be present with the Lord, that kind of thing. So it's the abode of God. But the created realm that's within time, space, and matter includes the galaxies, the stars, the moon, the clouds, and the, you know, the, the upper, lower atmosphere, and then the earth, right? Uh, when, after the millennium, uh, Christ is going to make all things new, and destroy the old heavens and the old earth, the created realm, and recreate them completely new again. Not a renovation, not a band-aid, but a complete destruction and a complete creation uh, in sinless perfection. So those are the two things that we're talking about. Um, in Revelation 21, it's describing the new heavens and the new earth. And the no more tears and that kind of stuff is a metaphorical uh, literary way of basically saying there will be no sadness because right. sin will be no more. And if you go on and read the rest of it, there are several characteristics that we talked about in my What Lies Ahead uh, series uh, a year or so ago. And, and in my book, I have a chapter on the new heavens and the new earth, What Lies Ahead, that eschatology book. But, you know, there's no temple because the Godhead is the temple. There's no night. There's no darkness. All, all of those types of things. So it's a completely new uh, created realm, unhindered by sin, untouched by sin. So your question is, as you kind of think about the current heavens and the future heavens, that reference to no sorrow is, is speaking about the new heavens, but it doesn't matter because there's no sorrow in the present heaven either, right? There's no sin. Sin is a you know, byproduct of, you know, of, uh, uh, of sorrow, rather, it's a byproduct of sin, regret, sorrow, sadness, tears. So can people today see what's going on there's nothing in the Bible that indicates that. You know, we have this sense, and, and people have all, you know, all said it, you know, oh, Grandpa's looking down, he'd be so proud, you know. Well, since when did Grandpa, after he died, become bionic and, and lose track of his humanity? I mean, humans are always humans. You know, the humanity is, this is where your biblical anthropology, not your secular humanistic anthropology, that says we're billions of years old, evolved from a wet rock, but what the Bible says about man, 
is really critical. So humanity is not what you see right here. I mean, I could, you know, lop off my arm or, you know, cut off my leg. I'm still J.B. Hickson. And this body is eventually going to deteriorate, go the way of all flesh, uh, back to dust. After the rapture, at the rapture, if I die before the rapture, I will be, res the physical body will be resurrected and reunited with my soul that's in heaven, and I'll have a glorified body. Remember, Paul said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. The ultimate dwelling place of all the redeemed is the new heavens and the new earth. Um, so just because I die and I set aside this earthly tent doesn't mean I somehow become a god with x-ray vision or I can see all things and know all things and hear all things and all that. I'm still a human being. That's a class of being, just like angels are a class of being. And so uh, that said, so, so the short answer is no, people aren't peering over the railings of heaven watching things unfold on earth. Nothing in the Bible that says that. But I will add this caveat, and I've said this many times. I believe God, uh, certainly in his sovereignty, could, on a case-by-case -case basis, call uh, a, a person who's in heaven into his office, metaphorically speaking, and say, hey, I just want to give you a special blessing. I want to show you something on earth. And he could allow us, on a case-by-case -case basis, to see something on earth. But it's not a, a matter of routine. It's not something that's going to always be capable for us. Uh, if in God's sovereign plan it, it enhances our moment in heaven, and I know heaven's outside of time, so even that phraseology is a little off, but if he wants to bless one of our loved ones who's in heaven and allow them to get a glimpse of something, he could do that. Uh, I'm not going to limit God, but there's nothing in the Bible that indicates universally people in heaven can watch what's going on on earth. That's what we were thinking, but others... Uh, Others were like, and people who don't understand, they're all thinking, oh, well, he's doing this, or they can see this, or whatever. And I'm like, why would they want to if they've been, they're up there with the Lord. They don't want to see what's going yeah, on here. Yeah, that's a good point. They've got better things to do. they got all of eternity, as we will someday, to talk with Peter and Paul and, you know, Jonah and whoever. But can you speak to the tribulation saints under the altar who are crying out for vengeance? So asking how long, O oh Lord, are you going to allow this to, when, when will they see? So they must know what's going on. Oh, they know Satan's not been defeated because they're the only ones in heaven. There's not other, their loved ones are still on earth. I mean, they, they have conscious awareness that the end of all things hasn't happened. Okay. The consummation of all things hasn't happened. And so they're wanting Satan to be defeated and they're crying out for vengeance. Um, yeah, that's how I would that's how I would take that. Yeah. Another passage that's somewhat relevant that people talk about is Hebrews. Uh, is it Hebrews 12? Where it talks about the great cloud of witnesses. But I take that. I've heard it preached <laughs> that you know these witnesses are in heaven. Yeah. Therefore, after the Hall of Faith chapter in chapter 11, therefore we also are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I've heard it preached that these are all the believers in heaven just watching, cheering us on. Come on, don't sin or do this or you can do better. Uh, that's way stretching the metaphor here. He's just saying, you know, we have these examples. You know, we have the, the witnesses there just kind of the examples who their faithfulness should motivate us to, you know, lay aside every weight and sin which easily besets us and run with endurance the race that is before us, ultimately looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. So that's the way I take that passage.
Anybody else? Okay, well, we are right on schedule, maybe five minutes late. Thanks for coming uh, tonight. Um, boy, lots, uh, lots uh, coming up. Don't forget uh, the conference this weekend. We won't be live streaming it, but I will post my messages from Friday and then the other one on Saturday. Uh, I'm speaking on Friday about the great satanic reset, a new world and an old enemy. That's the title. And then Saturday, uh, uh, did I say Saturday? That's Friday. Saturday, I'm speaking on transhumanism, creating God in the image of man. So really looking forward to uh, both of those. So you can watch for my message to be posted. After the conference, uh, they will be making available uh, streaming video of all the sessions, and there's going to be some great sessions there. Um, and so you can reach out to us, and we'll put you in touch with them on how you can, how you can get that. Um, pray for our safe travels, and uh, we will see you again uh, next Tuesday. All right? God bless you.